Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher, and thank you for joining us again this weekend. I'm the preacher, Dave McGarra. And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And we've had some wonderful guests lately, but this week we really, really have a fantastic guest. Absolutely. Uh, professor Gil Troy is Distinguished Professor of History at McGill University and has taught at Harvard University and served as a visiting scholar at the Brookings Institution. Uh, Gill is a preeminent authority on U.S. presidential politics and has authored over a dozen books and articles also for the New York Times, New Republic, and many other major media outlets. Professor Troy also is a prominent Zionist activist. He has been a research fellow at the Shalom Hartman Center in Jerusalem and helped found the Center's Engaging Israel program. In addition to numerous articles, Professor Troy has authored several books on the subject of Zionism, Why I'm Zionist, the award-winning Moynihan's Moment, America's Fight Against Zionism is Racism, and most recently as the creator of the anthology with Natan Sharansky, The Zionist Ideas, Visions for the Jewish Homeland, Then, Now, Tomorrow. So Gil, welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to teaching and preaching with you. I love that. <laughs> or, or being taught and, or, and preached out. We'll see which one happens. <laughs> it's a delight to have but, you on the program with us. I, I think you've got a lot to teach, and I, I think one of the big uh, issues of the moment is the amazing, unprecedented, and for at least for some, surprising uh, agreement, now peace agreement, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Um, you know, the first uh, UAE president in 1971 called Israel the Enemy, uh, and relations have been gradually evolving since then, but now we're talking about free travel, free trade, and all that goes along with that. So I think many of our listeners, you know, they may know about it, they may not have followed all the details. Uh, wanted to ask your take on just in terms of peace in the region, you know, there's always been this assumption, you got to deal with the Palestinians first. And this seems to turn that completely on its head. Uh, what, what do you make of that? Uh, you framed it very well. I think that this is uh, a game changer. I think that uh, especially American peacemakers and European peacemakers have been so addicted to the Palestinian problem and the Palestinian narrative for so long that they've given the Palestinians a power uh, that they don't deserve. And I think if the Palestinians um, had taken more responsibility over the years, they would already have a state, but instead partially fed by the Europeans and particularly fed, of course, by the UN, uh, the Palestinians have felt, well, the more radical we are, the more demands we make, the, 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 the better off we get, we get. But all they get is a stack of resolutions, but a resolution that really um, will bring them closer to solving the problem. And all of a sudden now, we have a situation where the Arab League, which was usually this block of 21 states opposed to the small 
uh, fledgling uh, Jewish state, uh, Israel, is now having some fissures, having some divisions, and uh, in a constructive way. And I think that anyone who understands the Middle East is seeing that this is partially due to uh, a certain confluence of interest between the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Israel, and partially due to the fact that you know one of the oldest lessons in the, in, 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 in the good book is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And uh, we have to say that a lot of this has to do with Iran, Iran, and Iran. And unfortunately, <laughs> there are some uh, American policymakers who have a blind spot when it comes to Iran, Iran, and Iran, and others who understand it. And uh, if we want to get a little politically incorrect, we can say that this uh, shift is due to two presidents. Uh, one, Donald Trump has actually recognized how dangerous uh, Iran is and has put tremendous pressure on him. Uh, on, on Iran and on the uh, Mullahs, on the Mullahs, and uh, Barack Obama, partially because of his blind spot vis-a-vis -vis Iran and his unwillingness to really put enough pressure on, he'd started putting pressure, and then his need for a, 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 a deal over uh, the nuclear situation was so great that I think that he didn't push his uh, negotiating advantage and the and the power advantage of the United States. But what that did was it terrified. The UAE, it terrified the Egyptians, it terrified the Saudi Arabians, and that helped cement the alliance with Israel. And so you can thank Donald Trump, but you can also thank Barack Obama. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. So so what do you think created that blind spot? Because, I mean, certainly uh, Bibi Netanyahu was, uh, to say he was outspoken about the Iran deal would, would be a bit of an understatement. <laughs> Uh, but but at the same time, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, uh, they weren't exactly silent either uh, to uh, the Obama administration and the U.S. in terms of their feelings. So I think there were three things going on in terms of that blind spot. First of all, let's go back to Bill Clinton and let's go back to um, the Oslo peace process. And the Oslo peace process kind of cemented this assumption and this formula that the way to get peace in the Middle East and, and first of all, there's also this notion that somehow the key, the one issue, the one big problem uh, in the Middle East is the Palestinian issue. And the key to that is putting enough pressure on Israel to give back enough territory so the Palestinians will be quote unquote satisfied. This problem with that is that it misses the fact that, uh, and, and this I'm, I'm quoting my co-author in my latest book, Never Alone, Natan Sharansky, is that the Palestinian political culture is a culture of dictatorship it's a culture of, um, of seeking enemies. And why would you give up that delicious enemy called the Jewish people, the Zionist entity, Israel? And until there's a civil society in, among the Palestinians, until there's a democratization process among the Palestinians, it will be very difficult to achieve the progress that Bill Clinton and then Barack Obama uh, dreamed about. So first, Barack Obama inherits from Bill Clinton the set of policy assumptions that, um, that it's all about the Palestinians. And then Obama changes a fundamental thing, which is that Bill Clinton understood that Israelis are more likely to make concessions vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians when they get love-love. And Barack Obama decided, no, that the Israelis actually needed tough love. And in fact, when Israelis get tough love and the Palestinians get love-love, very little is accomplished because the Palestinians start making more and more demands. So the key, in fact, is the opposite. The key is to give the Palestinians some tough love and the Israelis love love because the Israelis then feel ah, a little bit comfortable. They feel the United States and other um, major powers are 
behind them, and then they're more likely to make concessions because it's a very, very small country with many, many enemies. The Palestinians have to stop being coddled by the United Nations and the Europeans um, and, 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 and some forces in America and start realizing, hey, if we really want a state, A, we need this democratization process, but B, we need to start compromising. And then the third dimension was this, that there are all these changes occurring in the uh, Muslim world. There are all these divisions. Uh, we tended to see things through this prism of Israel-Palestine uh, or Israel versus Arabs, when actually, in many ways, it's a religious conflict of Sunnis and Shi'is. And Barack Obama came into office. In fact, he ran in 2008 on a platform promising to reach out to the Iranians, promising to uh, stop using American power in a way that, uh, in, his, in his conception, bullied Iranians and bullied others, and instead try to have some kind of uh, peace accord with them uh, over the nuclear, uh, over their rush to go nuclear. And, and that became a kind of obsession within the uh, Obama administration. And there was a constant rush to, um, to, to stop the Iranian rush to the nuclear, um, to, to nuclear power uh, by focusing on some kind of deal. And I repeatedly said at the time, all we needed John Kerry and Barack Obama to do was metaphorically throw over the table at one point, have a temper tantrum, march away from the table, and two things would have happened. One is that Kerry, who was uh, Obama's Secretary of State for a large chunk of the Obama administration, and Obama would have become much more popular with Americans, who would have said, okay, they're, they're negotiating in, the, in an intelligent way. And secondly, they would have gotten a better deal from the Iranians because the Iranians were uh, struggling uh, financially. They were struggling under a series of sanctions that Obama had put in uh, initially when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. And the failure to do that was part of this blind spot and this rush to get that deal, the JCPOA. And so all those things together uh, created a situation where when Donald Trump came into office, partially because Trump wanted to say, hey, anything Obama does, I do the opposite. And partially because I think Trump did have a certain understanding of the, 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 the centrality of Iran as a negative force, as a master manipulator, as the great villain of the Middle East, uh, it was time to change tactics. And, um, and I'm happy to say that uh, in this particular case, uh, Trump's shift has um, indeed uh, resulted in a peace treaty and, uh, and the start of a peace treaty and an, and an agreement with the United Arab Emirates. And it's very interesting because there are so many people who are unwilling to even give Trump credit on that. You want to criticize Trump on 12 other things? Go ahead. But you actually buy credibility if you can also say, hey, hats off on this one. That's number one. Number right. two, this obsession with the Palestinians um, means that people can't say, wait a minute. More peace is better than less peace. One less enemy is better <laughs> than um, more enemies. Why can't we, no matter where you stand on the Palestinian issue, at least celebrate this step toward peace? Peace is like this is, is, is like goodness. The more there is in the world, the better the, better the world is. And, um, and the inability of so many ideologues to at least say, wow, this is a step forward. And to say thank you um, is very troubling. And it reflects the ugliness of our times, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, well, so well, that's something that I, I, I've seen uh, that I've, I've, I've really marveled at. You know, that there are many in the, you know, what's called the peace camp who have either been silent or else dismissive. And, you know, this is this is peace, uh, but it, it's not a peace that involves evacuation of settlements and creation of a Palestinian state. So it, it's like, well, they're not interested in it. So what kind of peace camp is that? Right. There's this there's this 
there's this falsity, um, you know, and it's, it starts with a, a movement in, in uh, Israel in the 1970s called Peace Now. And Peace Now was in favor of, indeed, as you say, withdrawing from territory, giving uh, away settlements. And all of a sudden, they kind of got a monopoly on that delicious word, that wonderful word, peace. And what's the opposite? The war camp? Um, <laughs> what, what's the opposite? Uh, do, do, do you really believe that people who think that they're um, putting pressure on the Palestinians, like Natan Sharansky did, to democratize, or people who are distrustful of the Palestinians because Yasser Arafat in 2000 and 2001 and 2002, 2003, led his people away from negotiation and back toward the most evil kind of terrorism. These people are in favor of war or these people have a different calculus of how to achieve peace or what peace means. So we see the, 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 the great lie behind the rhetoric and then it's made worse by the fact that, yeah, right now we just had some progress toward peace and the so-called peace camp can't even say, huh, some progress. Thank you. Huh. A little less hatred in the world, a little less, uh, a, a little more goodness. And let's add another dimension, which is that uh, the United Arab Emirates is this very interesting mix of a, a very primal dictatorship. Let's, let's not, uh, you know, get overly romanticized here, but also uh, an increasingly sophisticated business and cultural uh, entity and the possibilities of synergies between Israeli high tech and Israeli democracy and Israeli society and the UAE uh, are exciting many people. And so that's the way you really make peace. You don't make peace through treaties. You don't make peace through um, pronouncements. You make peace by using the treaties, by using the pronouncements as a spearhead to then go forward and start working person to person, company to company, idea to idea, phenomenon to phenomenon. And you make all these intertwining connections, this network of goodness, this network of goodwill, this network of normalcy, and that creates a real peace. That creates the resilience you need for peace not to be some brittle thing that, um, that, that can shatter in a moment or a piece of paper that can easily rip. I like those sound effects. Yeah, I like um, it. But in fact, <laughs> is something that is, is really strong and resilient. We know what uh, uh, the rope is stronger the more strands you have and the more it's intertwined. And so that's the real excitement to me about this deal. And, and then if we really roll back the tape, what we see is that it's not as if Israel and the UAE were enemies and boom, overnight, um, this was announced. The ties have been growing. The rhetoric has been softening. The, 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 the contacts have been multiplying. And this step is a major step forward, a, major, a giant step forward, but it's built on a, as I said earlier, the shared enemy, the shared fear of Iran. B, um, a frustration with certain blind spots among many American policymakers. And C, more and more personal context, more and more business context, more and more realizations that, hey, you know what? We have something to gain, both sides. The Israelis, who often feel very isolated and very cut off because there's this irrational hatred of Israel, uh, starting with the Palestinians, spreading throughout the Arab world, and I'm sorry to say, uh, increasingly in, um, in, in, in sources on the far left and the far right, uh, in Europe, in the United States, and elsewhere. And uh, so the Israelis are, are anxious to find more friends, to find more allies. And the UAE say, hey, wait a minute, here's a modernizing country. And I'll throw in one more thought, which is another thing that could link the UAE and hopefully one day more Arab countries and Israel is that they're not conventional countries 
by Western standards. They're countries that are deeply rooted in traditional society, deeply rooted in a, a fear of, dare I use the G word, God, deeply rooted in a sense of continuity with the past, and yet also trying to modernize. And uh, Israel understands that, you know, God bless America, the United States is, 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 is Israel's best friend and has been stalwart. And um, we have to thank so many for Israel again and again and again. But there also is a certain kind of conversation that Israel can have with India, with Japan, with China, um, and ironically enough, with many of its Arab neighbors about how do you create what Theodor Herzl, the founder of Zionism, called an Alt-Neuland, an old new land. How do you bridge that gap between uh, a traditional society and modernity that, um, that, that can really lead to the kind of cultural, ideological, and, 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 and real existential understandings that are key to an, a lasting peace, not a piece of a day, but a piece of generations. So Gil, yeah. is, there, is there any connection to the timing of this whole thing? I mean, uh, here, here the focus was on, you know, the sovereignty of Israel over uh, Judea, Samaria, and then all of a sudden it seems like that's put on hold and this trumps that or takes uh, and turns the attention in a whole different direction. Timing, timing, and timing, yes. Uh, <laughs> Benjamin Netanyahu had kind of boxed himself into a corner over the whole question of sovereignty, of what's also called in the, the popular media annexation, uh, because even the right in Israel wasn't fully happy with the, the deal that seemed to be uh, potentially cooking, because they were afraid that it would also involve too many concessions to the Palestinians. So he was, he was suffering from his right <laughs> flank. On the other hand, he was suffering from the left flank because people were calling for and had been calling every Saturday night by the tens of thousands for his resignation, partially because of the uh, indictments and the criminal investigations that had been hanging over his head, partially because of frustration after um, his what's really been the longest uh, rule of any prime minister in Israeli history. So Netanyahu was looking to pull a rabbit out of the hat, to change the conversation, to prove that he still is the master magician and the man who is most responsible and um, most effective when it comes to Israeli security. And there's this other guy in the equation by the name of Donald Trump, and it just so happens that uh, this election uh, campaign is heating up. It just so happens that this UAE deal uh, occurred uh, just as the, um, the United States of America is really um, intensifying the, uh, the, the march toward um, the November election. And so it was really like a win-win-win. It was a win for Bibi in his fight with the left, a win for Bibi in his fight with, with the right, uh, and, and a win for Donald Trump. Yeah, this is amazing. So, you know, I, I've always felt like, you know, Israel has desired to really widen the, the formal diplomatic relationship with the Arabs in the Persian Gulf. And, and as you so wonderfully described, that the driving force behind that has been Iran. So there has been some pretty amazing things that have created what no one really expected to happen at the rate and level that it's happened, and that is the the warmth of Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia, and now this uh, dramatic peace agreement with the UAE, and now others are actually talking about the possibility of, of uh, engaging in peace uh, at the same time. And it's almost as though, you know, I was reading that the, the Palestinians in just trying to, you know, gripe about this have brought their ambassador home from uh, Abu Dhabi. 
and uh, have just decided to kind of throw a fit over this thing. And it's almost as though you hear Palestinians of the United Arab Emirates saying to the Palestinians of, of Gaza and and Israel that, you know what, let us school you on how to how to have a peace agreement. Let us school you on maturity in, in ways to deal with uh, other people groups. And it's almost as though that there is a direct uh, strike against the current Palestinian environment there in Israel who never wants to better themselves, but always wants to just be the victim. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think the key word is major- maturity. Um, I, I'm a big uh, fan of nationalism. I think nationalism does, can, can it, when it's constructive, do a lot to bring human beings together and get them thinking beyond themselves and working with one another. But the Palestinians give nationalism a bad name. They are the spoiled brats of modern nationalism because they don't take responsibility on the whole. Um, they don't uh, have the maturity to say, hey, wait a minute, like the early Zionists, if I really want to build a state, I have to make some concessions, I have to make some deals. And um, it's very interesting, the, the splits that we're seeing in the Palestinian movement, indeed, I think uh, the Palestinians in the United Arab Emirates are saying, hey, wait a minute, we've been sending all this money home to you guys, and uh, we understand that lovely stack of UN resolutions that you have that embolden you, but here we have a real opportunity to take some steps, A, in favor of peace, and B, to shore up our flank against Iran. Uh, we've also seen someone like Suha Arafat, Yasser Arafat's widow, who lives very, very well off all the billions, <laughs> I didn't yeah. say millions, I said billions, that Yasser Arafat stole from international aid and from his own people. And she also said, hey, wait a minute, here's some progress, and boom, her name is now Mud. And so, you know, when people always say, oh, you know, I'm sorry to say that on too many college campuses, uh, Israel's the favorite whipping boy. And, every, and everybody always says, you know, Israel's a source of, 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 of war and tension in the Middle East. And I go, hey, wait a minute. Who's the one who's shown that there really is a peace consensus in their country? Anytime there's been a serious deal on the table with Egypt, with Jordan, with the Palestinians in the Oslo peace process, with uh, now the UAE, who's the one who went for it? Israel. And who's the one who's consistently... Um, uh, change their their curricula to acknowledge the fact that life is messy, that there's this thing called the Palestinian people, Israel. And who are the ones who continue to incite, who continue to terrorize, who continue to take international money and either use it to line their own pockets or to, um, or, or to pay off terrorists? It's the Palestinians. And the international community should look at this example of what Palestinians think of peace, what Palestinians thinks of, think of this step forward and start questioning why so many billions of dollars are pumped into Palestinian pockets. And also, I think this can be a really good opportunity to attack the BDS, the boycott um, movement, and even worse than the boycott movement, because uh, it really hasn't had an impact uh, on, on Israel's thriving uh, economy and, and, and robust ties with the uh, international community and the business world, is what Palestinians call anti-normalization. Many of my friends on the left, many of the loveliest people I know in the U.S. Embassy who want to create programs, getting Palestinians and Israelis talking to one another, getting Westerners and Palestinians talking to one another, run into this thing called anti-normalization, which is the Palestinian belief that we have to have this full-scale war against Israel and that any steps to somehow acknowledge the right of the Jewish people to have a state when there were 21 other Arab states, the right of the Jewish people to exist on their ancient homeland is somehow normalizing the evil Zionist entity, and they won't do it. 
And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. How do you build peace with all these overlapping ties, with all this resilience, with all that the intertwined rope? How do you build war? By not even enduring the fact that there's this entity called Israel and calling it the Zionist entity. By not even enduring the fact that you might be able to sing songs or paint pictures if you're kids or learn together or do high tech together. Uh, and, and any constructive contacts that occur between Israelis and Palestinians have to be hidden from these anti-normalization bullies. And that gets it back again to that, the, 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 the theme that uh, I, I seem to keep on coming back to and that Natan Sharansky keeps on coming back to when it comes to the Middle East is if there was a civil society, if there was democratization, if there was not just this push for a terrorist dictatorship from the Palestinians, we might have a chance to say to Palestinians, hey, wait a minute, you have a shot at improving your life. But the way to do that is not through incitement and not through hatred and not through anti-normalization. It's through first baby steps and then UAE type giant steps toward constructive engagement, peace, and building together and thriving together. Yeah. So, and we just have a few minutes left. I, that's the thing for me. The Palestinians, you know, as you said, they, they continue to play the victim. Meanwhile, with the UAE deal, and there's sure to be more to follow, uh, they're basically just getting left behind. So where, where does that really leave them? Uh, you know, it, it leads them again with that, that, that lovely stack of UN resolutions. It leaves them <laughs> lost, um, and, and it leaves them floundering. And so it leaves them, them uh, lashing out through, you know, lone wolf, t lone wolf, lone wolf terrorist attacks uh, occasionally. It leaves them launching balloons um, uh, from Hamas territory from Gaza to burn down uh, nature, to burn down parks, to burn down crops. And it leaves them just lashing out and, 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 and taking any international money and putting it again to either line their own pockets or to, um, or, or, or to arm the, the elites of the society and, and leaving the, 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 the regular Palestinian left in the dark and suffering. Yeah. Amazing. And Israelis going, when you're ready, we'll be ready to deal. But until you're ready, we're just going to have to defend ourselves. And that's that's yeah. such an important message to keep before them. You know, we've we've been talking this weekend with Gil Troy, who's an American presidential historian and a popular commentator on politics and other issues. And it's been a delight to have you join us this weekend on this uh, what I think is a very timely topic of uh, this peace agreement with the United Arab Emirates and Israel. What a what a delight! Thank you so much for being with us today, Gil. Well, thank you, and thanks for all the great work you're doing to bring civility and bring thought and bring conversation uh, back to uh, America and to the world. Thanks. Yeah, you know, you our listeners, you can go, go to giltroy.com, giltroy.com. You can read a lot about him there. You can access uh, what he's written in his books and uh, enjoy the, the, the kind of person that's just contributed to the betterment of our understanding. So until next week, we invite you to scope out the teacher and the preacher. You can do that several different ways. Number one, you can contact us at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. We read all the emails, and uh, you might like to suggest a topic or a guest. You can also check us out on our website, teacherandthepreacher.com, and then our Facebook page, The Teacher and the Preacher, where Harold does a fabulous job of giving all of our readers a fact of the day that is little known and uh, insights into this amazing place called Israel. We always enjoy having uh, special guests and covering a lot of topics. You can see all of those listed 
at our website in the archive programs, teacherandthepreacher.com. So until next week, may the God of Israel, who never slumbers or sleeps, may he watch over Israel and all of our Jewish friends, and may that same God bless America. Amen. Amen. Thank you.